up to Colossians, please. <clears throat> That's a good song. I love how Paul had paired those two songs, the one that we sang, As Long As You Are Glorified, and remembering our sovereign God in control of all things. No matter what happens, we want his name to be glorified. He's sovereign. But don't forget, he's also good. He's a good father. And we get to be his children. So as you consider his sovereignty, being in control of all things over this past year, many things have happened. You've gone through many difficulties. We have gone through difficulties. We've gone through many blessings as well. And in God's sovereignty, we also recognize that He is a good, good Father. What a blessing it is to know that truth. Um, well, uh, it's been a blessing this past year also to uh, have a new pastor, hasn't it? And Brent Belford, bringing the Belfords here to our church. And uh, it's been an answer to prayer, many of our prayers. As we sought the Lord for who would help lead and guide this church under our true shepherd, Jesus Christ. The head of the church. Um, so, uh, it's been great to hear him and... Since he's gone, I get to speak this morning. So, uh, we're going to look at Colossians this morning. Now, as I was preparing, we're supposed to be in Colossians chapter 4. And I thought, it's been a while since I've spoke. And I need to kind of catch everybody up on what has been going on in Colossians, I feel like. And as I'm reviewing and going through, I thought, you know what? This book is such a letter of thanksgiving of rejoicing in God's work in our lives and in your life. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I want to work through the entire book of Colossians, the entire letter of Colossians 1 through 4. And then this evening I want to spend a lot more time specifically in chapter 4. Um, did you know that you're created to change? You are created to change. I've been reading this book uh, called Discipling by Mark Dever. It's a small blue, be blue book, hard hardcover. I would recommend it to you if you are uh, looking uh, to read something new maybe um, in about two days. It's a really short book. And um, uh, he says, his opening chapter is, change is inevitable, is what he says. Change is inevitable. Things are going to change, you're going to change. And he says in the book, you may be thinking... Have you met my husband? He orders the same thing at every restaurant. Uh, no show of hands, please. Um, he's, he's a creature of habit. Everything is kind of the same over and over. I, I remember when I was working at a, a pool company during my college years, and, and, and I was home for a summer working for a pool company. And uh, I, I, six days a week for lunch, I would go to the same restaurant, McDonald's, and uh, order the exact same thing every single day. 
double cheeseburger meal, medium fry, and of course a Coke. They, they have it right there at McDonald's, I think. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I got the exact same thing. And finally, maybe halfway through um, the summer, uh, one of the cashiers says, are you the guy that comes in every single day and orders the exact same thing every day? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, that's a different guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, we can be creatures of habit. Um, um, I don't think I, I gained weight that year, but I don't think it was because of my diet. So we're not, this is not the sermon is about our, it's not about a diet in particular, but we are, we can be creatures of habit, do the same thing over and over, but we are created to change. We're going to change. We change all the time. We're born, we grow, we age, we die. That's all change. We learn things we didn't know before. We forget things we used to know. I feel like that sometimes. I'm in my study of the scriptures. I remember, uh, I think it was last year, uh, one of the first books that I ever taught through with the teens was Ecclesiastes. I think it was actually the first book. I went through the book of Ecclesiastes with the teens. And I remember thinking I was going to go back to it. And I'm thinking, I forget a lot of this book. Like, I think of my spiritual growth as like, Growing and I'm gaining and I'm growing in knowledge, understanding, and, uh, remind myself the truth of the scriptures all the time. But I forget down here at the bottom of the graph is like tumbling off these things that I keep forgetting, right? We change all the time. We, get, we become more godly. We become more sinful. We're constantly changing. The world around you is constantly changing. And you may need to change. Not what you believe in particular. Maybe. But maybe change even the intensity of what you believe. Maybe understanding the particulars of what you believe on a particular issue. So this morning, I'm going to walk through the entire letter to the Colossian church. I want this to be a Thanksgiving sermon. Let let this be a worshipful time for you. As you see what Christ has done, who Christ is, what Christ has done for you, and what Christ is doing in you. So, Paul is writing this letter to a church, a church apparently who he's never met. It's one of Paul's prison epistles. He's in prison. And Epaphras, a guy named Epaphras, started the the Colossian church. And Epaphras had recently visited Paul in prison and updated Paul on how things were going. And things seemed to be going quite well, it seems. But there were also some kind of social, religious, even pressures that the church was facing. And change needed to take place. So my message this morning is you really can change. You really can change. In this message of change, there's a message of warning. There's a message of teaching. Don't go this route, and here's how you change. Here's how you pursue Christ and become more like Him. In every part of your life, and in every relationship, our normal relationships. Chapter 1. Y'all buckled up? Ready to roll? Chapter 1. Thankfulness and prayer for the Colossians. Verses 5 and 6. God is at work in their lives. The gospel is changing lives in their community, in their church, and in, in them personally. He's changing their lives. And he's changing lives around the world. The gospel is changing people's lives. It's at work. Verses 9 and 10. Paul prays that they would have understanding and knowledge and wisdom. So that they walk in a manner. Listen to this. So they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. 
Bearing fruit in every good work. That's how Paul is praying for the Colossian church. Are we praying that way? Are we praying that way for ourselves? Are we praying that way for our family? Are we praying, for that, praying that way for our neighbors? For our fellow church members? That they would have understanding, knowledge, and wisdom so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Verses 13 and 14. And you can do this because you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been saved. We don't live in that domain of darkness anymore. We're in the kingdom of His Son, His beloved Son. And this beloved Son, this Jesus, this Messiah, this Christ, do you know who He is? You know who this person is? Verses 15 to 20. He's the ruler of creation. All things were created for Him and through Him. In heaven and on earth, visible things, invisible things, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is holding all things together. He is the ruler, currently ruling all of creation. And anything that was created, whether it's visible or invisible, it's a throne or whatever it is, through Him and for Him. He holds it all together. He's also, not only is the ruler of creation, He's also the ruler of the new creation. He's the ruler of the church. He is the head of the church, the firstborn of the dead. He's the first one to rise from the dead. And now you are risen with Him. You, the firstborn of the dead. He is preeminent. Because in Him, this is, this is Jesus, listen. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. And through Him, verse 20, He reconciles all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the bloody cross. This is our Christ. That's our Savior. That's Him. Yeah, this really detailed kind of poem almost here that Paul is writing. Showing you who Christ is. Do you believe this is the Christ? Do you believe in that kind of Christ? He's our Savior. And if you have decided to follow Christ, if you have decided to submit to Him like this, He has saved you. He's taken your hostile mind, verse 21 and following. He's taken your hostile mind that was bent on doing evil deeds and has given you His righteousness. Verse 22, not only have our sins been forgiven, but we have been given the righteousness of Christ. Holy and blameless and above reproach. You see that? So in verse 14, he says, "New we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins have been forgiven, but also we've been given the righteousnesses of Christ. We get his righteousness. So when, when you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to believe you are declared righteous. You are, theological term, justified. You've been justified, declared righteous. Your sins have been forgiven and that you've not been left morally neutral. You have been given the righteousness of Christ. 
It's a mystery that has been hiding for ages and generations. A mystery that has been hiding for ages and generations. Verse 26. And is now being revealed to us. You know what this mystery is? You know what this mystery is? Christ in you. Christ in me. We get Christ. We get Him. The Christ that Paul just told us about. The ruler of creation. The ruler of the new creation. The one who forgives sins. The one that gives us righteousness. We get Him. Christ in you. That's the mystery. That's the gospel that has been hiding for ages and now has come. He's, he was here we get Christ. We get relationship with Him. So our submission to Christ is not just about us getting into heaven. It's about us getting a relationship with Jesus. We get Him. Verse 28, And it's Him we proclaim in our lives. Warning all men, teaching all men with all wisdom, that we may present all men mature in Christ. It's Him we proclaim. And this is not an easy call, verse 29. It's going to be a struggle. But here's, here's the hope. You see this in verse 29? For this I toil, struggling. You're like, oh man, that sounds really hard, like really hard work. Do you see your Christian life as working hard? You're toiling and struggling. How are you toiling and struggling? With all His energy. That he powerfully works within me. Do you see like the strong language in that verse? You see that? You're toiling and struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within you. He stands ready to work. He's ready to work in your life. We don't, we don't presume upon the grace of God thinking, if I do this in the morning, he's required to give me this kind of grace throughout my life. We're going to struggle and toil. We don't, we, don't, we don't presume upon it, but he's a good father. He's ready to work. You have Jesus. And He will work in you. You really can change. Chapter 2, verse 6. If you really believe in this Christ, if you really believe that Jesus is Lord, ruler over creation, ruler over new creation, if you really believe that Jesus is Lord, live like it. Verse 6, it's kind of a turning point into the body of the letter, if you will. The previously kind of introductory, not necessarily uh, um, you know, lesser in value, not lesser in value at all, but an introductory, and now he's turning from the indicatives. So he's indicating something in this first part up until cha- chapter 2, verse 6. In verse, chapter 2, verse 6, he starts giving us some imperatives, commands. What are these commands? Walk in him. Look at this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so he just if you believe in this Jesus, this Lord, walk in him. Be rooted and built up in him. Be established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Also, as you walk, don't be taken captive. Don't get kidnapped. Being kidnapping might be one of the most serious sins, it seems like. One of the most serious crimes as we think through 
our lives around us. One of those scary things that could happen. And he's saying in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. Walk in him and don't get kidnapped. People are out to get you, whether they know it or not, whether they're trying to or not, whether you know it or not, whether you understand, people are trying to get you with philosophies that are anti-God and they're trying to deceive you. Philosophies are trying to deceive you that are anti-God. They are philosophies of mere men, the text says. Philosophies of mere men. Nothing to do with God. So don't get kidnapped. What is the particular philosophy or false teaching that is being promoted there in the Colossian church? Well, we don't actually know, but we see some characteristics. We see that it is empty based on human tradition, verse 8. It's empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits. According, so maybe the elementary spirits of the wor- world. And not according to Christ. You see that flow? Accord, these, these things, um, these empty philosophies, is, uh, they're according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that's the point. Whatever it is, what does Christ think? What does Christ think about these things? What does Christ call you to do? What does Christ call you to think and believe in? He's the ultimate authority, not anything outside of Christ, not anything else outside of you, and not even your own thinking or rationale. What about Christ? Must be according to Christ. Verse 9 and 10, because in him you find fullness. You have been fulfilled in him. In Christ. Look what Christ has done. He has raised you from the dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, he says. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And this verse in verse 14, 13 and 14, has been a verse that I come to often. It has has been a verse as I think through what Christ has done for me in my life, what Christ has done for you in your life. Look what happens. God made you alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see that picture? He's forgiven us of all of our trespassing by canceling the record of debt. So there's this record of debt. You ever been in like massive debt and you feel the weight of that? Feel the weight of that debt just weighing on you? And you have, there's this debt and it's weighing on you. The sin that we have accumulated over the years or even just one sin against the holy God. There's a debt that is due. We are doomed to hell. But he's canceled that record of debt. And that debt not only hung on you, but it it stood against you with legal demands. Demands death. It demands hell. As Pastor Daniel would say, if God were fair, we wouldn't be going to hell. We would be in hell. (laughs) Stood against you with his legal demands. But let's look at this next phrase. (laughs) The end of verse 14. This he set aside. So that, that debt that stood against you with its legal demands demanding that you go to hell, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So 
Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Verse 16. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink regarding the new moon to Sabbath. Christ has died for you. He has canceled this record of debt. He has canceled your sin, forgiven you of your sins and trespasses. So don't let anybody, trust, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or regarding new moons or Sabbaths. Verse 18, don't let anybody disqualify you insisting on certain things that they see as important. People are going to come at you with rules and regulations that they think are important. And they may judge you for not keeping them. And they may even try to disqualify you for not keeping them. Additional rules, regulations. Don't let those additional rules or regulations judge you or disqualify you. So people will come and they'll say, you, you need to hold to this kind of standard up here that we're setting. And if you don't, I'm going to judge you and disqualify you. Verse 21 says, they'll say things like, don't handle, don't taste this, don't handle that. Don't even touch these things. And what does he say about these rules? It says, they are rules based on human ideas and not on Christ. These have an appearance of wisdom. You might even look at this thing and say, wow, that actually seems kind, that seems kind of wise to do that. Seems kind of wise to do that. Seems like it. Keep going in this verse. So verse 23, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. So it may, may look wise. It may even seem like really disciplined, like self-made. Check me out. I'm be able to hold to these kinds of rules. It takes real discipline to follow that rule. Wow. Seems wise. It takes discipline to follow that rule. It promotes asceticism. These rules even have the appearance of being humble. That word there that's translated in the ESV, asceticism, is actually literally humble. But with the connotation here of a false kind of humility. These rules have an appearance of being humble, but it's a false humility. So you say, well, it seems wise. Se- seems wise, I guess. It seems like a really disciplined person to do that kind of thing. Wow, that rule of regulation seems like it's wise, seems like it's disciplined. Even seems kind of humble. Think about it. But also, it looks severe to the body. Look, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they, and severity to the body. So you think, think, severe to the body. Seems wise, seems disciplined, seems humble, seems even severe, severe to the body. That's got to be good for something, right? It's got to be good for something. I mean, it seems wise and disciplined, and they're really, they really seem like they got things in order. It's got to be good for something, right? No! The next phrase, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. I, I see, yet I see this in our church. I see this in me. We follow a set of additional rules. We've made these kinds of spiritual decisions for our family. We've made these kind of spiritual decisions for our family. We've made these kind of spiritual decisions for our kids, our group of friends. So we, we must be kind of up here spiritually. Because we have these additional rules, regulations for our family that aren't necessarily put in the Bible, but they kind of seem wise, I guess. And, they got, and, and then not only that, but we can look down on other people and say, judgment, disqualification. 
adding rules and regulations to what Christ has called you to has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I think sometimes we stand in fear and make additional rules just in case. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value? Really? If I set up rules that look wise, disciplined, humble, and very difficult, even severe to the body, and I'm able to follow them fully, it's really of no value? What? No rules? All the kids in here are like, what? (laughs) I like it when he speaks. No. (laughs) Is that what he's saying? Of course not. What, What is he talking about? Well, let me give you an example. Let's look. What about computer restrictions? Someone who's dealing with internet pornography. You may even say, don't, don't even touch the computer at this point. Add this kind of filter to your computer or something like that. Is that going to stop the indulgence of the flesh? May, see, may say, don't take, take the internet out of your house even. You're going to get so severe. It's going to seem so severe. Like almost like if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Your eye offends you, pluck it out. It seems like so severe. You're like, wow, that must be good for something, right? It it seems wise, it seems humble, it seems severe. Well, what's the fleshly thing they are indulging in? Lust. So if you say to someone, add these restrictions in your life and you'll be all set. Everything will be just fine. And you haven't dealt with the heart issue, the real sin. You haven't dealt with the issue. Lust. Deal with the heart issue. What about alcoholism, for example? Someone dealing with drunkenness, which is clear sin in the scriptures. Is it okay for us to tell them then, don't even take a sip of any kind of alcohol. Even stay away from using wine to cook with. Is that okay? Of course it's okay. That's actually a great idea. But know that you haven't dealt with the sin issue. What's the sin issue? Maybe they're using alcohol to escape. Using it to escape from family. From life situations. From pressures of life that they just don't want to face. Now they don't want to drink alcohol anymore and get drunk, but that sin of escapism is going to show up over here. They're going to escape by playing video games. They're going to escape by working out. They're going to escape by going on a run. They're going to escape through the use of Internet. Here we are. You have to deal with the heart. So just know, adding rules for your kids as they grow up has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You must deal with the heart. Put those things in place, but know that those rules and regulations are not going to deal with the heart. We have to get in and deal with the heart issue. Heard someone say, I don't remember who it was, but said, we don't want good kids, we want godly kids. Rules are fine, but you have to deal with the heart issue. Don't be lazy in parenting. Work hard at dealing with the heart. Don't just say, okay, you did that. All right, this is the rule that we're going to set. See you later. Talk to you in a month when you've got it figured out. Pursue, disciple. Don't be lazy in your own life. Don't just put a restriction, but deal with the heart issue. So if rules have no value and stop the indulgence of the flesh, what do we do? How do we change? I want to change, right? He's writing the letter. He's saying, we want to change. How do we change? How do we deal with the heart issue? Just hope and pray. How do I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How do, how do I become a person that is fully pleasing to Him? Chapter 1, verse 10. How do I become a person who is bearing fruit in every good work? How do I do that? 
chapter 3. Verses 1 through 4. Seek above things. Think above things. If then you have been raised with Christ, and you have if you're a believer, seek above. Th- seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So seek above things. Literally, it says seek above things and think above things. Get your mind right. Get your mind thinking right. So study the scriptures. Get into God's mind. Understand God. So that's what it means to think above things. We want to think what God is thinking. Get your mind in the word. Study. Know his truth. Read the scriptures over and over. Read books about the scriptures, but come back to the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. So in that moment of temptation, what's drawn to your mind? God's truth about sexual immorality. God's truth about sin. God's truth about gossip and slander. That's what's coming to our minds. Memorize it. Hide his word in your heart. You may not sin against him. So seek above things. Set your mind on things that are above. Get your mind right. Renew your mind, if you will. Seek above things. Verse 5 and following. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you. Destroy things of this earth. Destroy earthly things. He's very serious about sin. And in this first list, there's sins all dealing with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you once walked when you were living in them. But now destroy them. Destroy them. Get rid of them. Get rid of sexual immorality. See it for what it is. The wrath of God is coming on those things. Christ has died for those things. Repent of those things. But not only those kinds of things, but also he has another list. But now, verse 8, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So not only is he, is he, is he pushing specifically on sexual sin, but he's also pushing specifically on things that we say. And he starts with your heart, your, your angry heart, my wrathful heart, malice, that I have in my heart that wants to slander people, wants to talk bad about people behind their backs. Wants to put people down. That's obscene talk. You're not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We have we have Put off the old self and put on the new. The old self is done. Put on the new. So you seek. How how do we change? The first four verses. Seek above things. Set your mind right. And then repent of evil. Destroy earthly things. Kill it. And then put on. Then verse 12. As God's chosen and holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts. 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You see, see the point there? He said forgive three times in that verse, right? Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love. You see that imagery there? So you have the imagery of seeking and thinking above things. You have this imagery of killing and destroying things. And then you have this imagery of putting on something. Here's what you put on. And do you see how this list here is in direct opposition to the two lists, the two lists of vices we just saw concerning sexual immorality and concerning slander, wrath, malice towards each other? You have compassionate hearts for each other. You're showing kindness. You're not pursuing people in a sexual way. You're not pursuing um, slandering people because you love them. You've put on over all of these things love. And look what it says in verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you were called in one body. So he calls you to unity. Calls us to unity. Be unified in one body, he says. How does that happen? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if, if someone has a complaint against, against you... You stand ready to forgive, just as Christ keeps on forgiving you. You keep on forgiving them. Why? Because you love them. Because you love God and you love them. There's a call to unity. Then he says, and be thankful. In these three verses, he talks about thankfulness three times. Verse 15 it's called unity and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and warning one another in all wisdom. How do we do that? Glad you asked. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, in this case I forgot something, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving Thanks to God the Father through him. So do you see how this do you see how this letter has moved? Here's Christ. Here he is. He's worked in your life. He's changed you. He's taken you from a domain of darkness, put you into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's changed your life. This is who Christ is, ruler of all things. He's canceled the record of your debt. He's shown you exactly how you can change. But remember, it's Christ working in you. For this I toil, he says in verse 29 of chapter 1, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. So when we change, we don't get up and say, check me out. Look where I'm at up here now, because I'm so much better. Well, now you've got to work on humility. So we're back down here again, right? We come here and we say, thank you, God. I've seen this book. This letter, in this past year, changed people's lives. Some of you in here have been changed from reading this text. I've been sitting across the counseling table with you and I've seen change. 
Thanks be to God. He really does use his word and change people's lives. Thanks be to God. Seek above things, put to death, destroy earthly things, and put on holiness. And then he says in these next verse, here's how exactly how it's going to work out in all these relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Wives, you get to let him lead. He has the responsibility. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Doug Wilson once said, he commands to our weakness. Husbands, he commands here to our weakness. We can tend towards being harsh with our wives, generally speaking. Love your wives. And Ephesians says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Stand ready to give yourself up for your wife. It's not a domineering kind of leadership, ruling. Obey me whatever I say. Get over here and do this for me. You stand ready to give up your lives for them. Because you love them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Remind your children, you're, they're not just to obey you because of you, they're to obey you to please the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing who? The Lord. Whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for who? The Lord. And not for men. You think that's your boss, but there's a greater boss that you're actually working for. You are serving the Lord Christ, verse 24. Verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing also you have a master in heaven. Do, do you see this flow? Do you see how Colossians is written? Do you see how he says, here's Christ, love Christ, go hard after Christ. You, you, here's, here's who Christ is, live like you believe it. You get Christ, you have Christ, live like you believe that. He's died for your sins, live like you believed it. You believe it. You've been raised with him. Chapter 3, live like you believe it. Hate sin. Love holiness. Love God the most. And love each other a ton. And here's how you do it in your normal relationships. Wives, husbands, parents, children, slaves, masters. Here's how it's done. You see where it all starts? Who is Christ? What kind of Jesus do you believe in? It starts with a high Christology study of Christ. If you really believe in Christ, these things will flow. If you really believe in the Jesus of the Bible, live like it. So are you ready to change? You, you ready to take this letter and change? He has some final instructions that we'll dig into tonight. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, persevere in prayer. In verse 2 of chapter 4 and chapter 5, it says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. We're going to talk through those things and how he's working. And then we're going to look briefly at how it actually works out in, the, in real life with a guy named Onesimus, who was a slave that escaped from his master, and his master was named Philemon.
he's going to say, here's how it works out in that relationship. So believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. You, you get Christ. It must start there. Know who Christ is. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Trust. Submit your life to him as Lord. You are not the Lord of your life. Let Christ rule. Secondly, Christ has freed you from the guilt of sin. It no longer weighs on you. And thirdly, Christ empowers you to rid you of sin. Toiling and struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within you. It's not you setting up rules and regulations to pull up your own bootstraps. Let Christ change your heart as you fill your mind with His thoughts and as you repent of sin and as you put on righteousness. You really can change. Let's pray. God, we're just overwhelmed with thanksgiving and praise for how you work. No, no glory goes to us when you work in our lives. When, when somehow you work and change a habit that's so ingrained in our lives. And you cause us to be able to put on righteousness. Humility, kindness, meekness, patience. And we're bearing with one another. We stand ready to forgive one another. And above all, we put on love. And in these things, we are so grateful for how you work. We, we do all things as if we are working for you in thanksgiving for what you've done. Lord, thank you that we really can change. You really still work. You are the sovereign Lord of all things. You are our good, good Father. You are controlling all things. You are holding all things together. You are the ruler and head of this church. May we be people who are submitted to you and are ready to follow you no matter what. So help us this week to walk in you. Rooted and built up in the faith. Established in the faith. Abounding in thanksgiving. All glory be to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.